Welcome to the Freshman Foundation Podcast, helping you make the jump from high school athletics to the collegiate level and beyond with your host, Michael Huber. Hey everyone, I'm Mike Huber, founder and CEO of the Freshman Foundation. Welcome to the Freshman Foundation podcast, a podcast focused on helping student athletes to prepare mentally and emotionally for the transition to college athletics. My guest today is Mike Murray Jr., athletic director and head baseball coach at St. Joseph High School in Metuchen, New Jersey. Mike was a two-time All-State baseball player at Westfield High School in New Jersey, three-time starter at catcher in the ACC for the Wake Forest Demon Deacons, and a Northwest League All-Star and batting champion while in the San Francisco Giants system. So please welcome Welcome, Mike, to the podcast today. Hey, Mike, what's up, man? How you doing? What's going on, Mike? How's everything? Everything is good, man. It looks like uh, it looks like you're in your office, so school's moving on as uh, as normal. I'm in my office slightly. Our school's actually been remote the last couple of weeks. I'm actually getting more work done, being that we're on remote. But um, while we're remote, athletics has been going on. So uh, as you mentioned, I'm our baseball coach, but also athletic director. So we're keeping fall sports moving. Um, soccer, cross country, and football postseason start. Uh, this weekend. So just trying to um, to make it happen. It's a day-to-day thing this fall uh, as an athletic director, but we're making it work. So, I mean, what's that meant for um, what's that meant for the baseball program specifically for you guys? The fall was out of, coming out of playing together in the last dance, missing, missing last spring. Um, you know, you know, in our program a little bit more intimately, graduating 17 seniors. So we got a really young program. A lot of our guys play club ball on the weekends and do things. So um, usually in the fall, I give them some flexibility to just do their club thing, work out a little bit together. This fall, we kind of put a premium on getting them together. We had them play two levels together in a fall league, less about baseball development, more just kind of that social dynamic that's been missing through uh, through the pandemic. We just wanted them together. So we did that in the fall. They played really well. And again, uh, for a lot of these kids that have put in 12, 18, months worth of work he's underclassmen i mean we haven't had an opportunity as coaches to see him a lot so really just kind of wanted to get an idea um you know sitting in a lawn chair down the left field line of what these kids can do and um, the work they've been putting in and so for the benefit of the listeners um i was uh i was a coach on mike's staff for two seasons working specifically on mental skills training Uh, mike was gracious enough to to bring me on as a volunteer and i just i loved every minute of being at st joe's and you may have heard mike mention the last dance which is was a tournament that Mike was a primary organizer of in New Jersey this past summer, given that the spring uh, baseball season was canceled due to COVID. So Mike, do you want to talk a little bit more about what the last dance was, how it came together and what that meant to the program and just to, to, to baseball across the state of New Jersey? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I think it's kind of a nice transition to some of the other things we're going to tackle today, right? Like um, this kind of natural order of things for especially these senior athletes where um, you're preparing for this big transition into college. And that traditionally is meant for spring athletes like baseball players where you're getting your senior spring, you're getting your proms, you're getting your graduation, um, you're getting that summer leading into your freshman year of college, which I know we'll talk in how kids get ready for that and, and the importance of it. So it's kind of a nice time. But with the spring being canceled, it kind of kind of threw the kind of natural order of things obviously it, you know everything was impacted but um specific to what we do here with our baseball players it's uh you know the cadence was thrown off so you know myself a few of the other coaches we worked to kind of get a tournament together again um with a big special senior class wanted to be able to do something for uh, our seniors primarily but all the kids that wanted to get out and play baseball so uh we're able to put together the tournament 222 teams 
4,400 kids. Um, and yeah, it was simple. I mean, baseball is important, right? The mental, uh, the getting out there, having a sanctuary for everything else that was going on was important. So I uh, was happy to, in some ways, restore a little bit of that normal cadence where you get to close the chapter before you open the next one, um, which was a little muddy because of COVID. Yeah, I mean, I f- personally, I felt I felt the same way. I mean, I missed not being with the team during the spring and the ability to kind of come back and see them one last time, get to spend time with them, watch them compete again was, I think it was big for me too, because of all the things that had been going on and the lack of social interaction. It was just, it was a really fun, really fun time to be out there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, uh, you know, selfishly, I think I felt the same, right? Just as much as it was about the players, you know, all of us coaches, you know, you you miss just going out to dinner with your coaching staff after a game, talking about what the kids are doing, just good. Again, that normal cadence of a baseball season of shooting a text to the eight guys talking about how we don't score any runs or how we gave up too many runs or whatever you're usually bantering about back and forth or a funny thing a kid does. So um, you just missed all of that. So um, hopefully we're getting closer to that being restored to some normalcy, hopefully here in the next handful of months. Yeah, for sure. I, I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so I know I, I talked a little bit in the intro about your background, but why don't you, could you tell the, you know, tell us a little bit about kind of your background as a as a baseball player and kind of where you came from and how you got to where you are now? Yeah, sure. Um, I was the, uh, you know, my, my dad, uh, my dad was a baseball guy, right? He played locally at Union Catholic and Kane University and uh, had an opportunity to get drafted by the White Sox out of Kane uh, as a local guy, a Rawway guy. He kind of, kind of raised my brother, my sister, myself. Um, you know, I went on, uh, went to Westfield High School, played college baseball, Wake Forest, got an opportunity to play professionally um, with the Giants. My younger brother did the same uh, Westfield High School of Georgia attack to the twins and the brewers uh my sister uh went to johnson high school and then continued on at university of maryland uh playing softball baseball softball was always a sanctuary for our family you know my parents got divorced we you know went to a park and and took bp right it was kind of how we managed kind of what was going on in real life um and my dad passed away a couple years later and like our first big family function was driving the 13 hours to my brother's baseball game at georgia tech so we've gotten some really cool opportunities from baseball softball um kind of has followed us through many different stages of life and and real life stuff that's going on you know again i mentioned it to my players when we were talking about covid right like you know baseball is what i did after family deaths and after divorce and after the real life things that you're dealing with it's it's that sanctuary it's a safe place so so it's meant a lot to me right i, I mean it, it was in part responsible for obviously paying for my education allowing to open doors to friendships and different things um some of the more important stuff that i'm sure we'll talk about more than just you know how i was doing in baseball and kind of managing and prioritizing what I was getting from the game. Yeah, I had an opportunity to do some really cool things and, and kind of now as a coach, you get to just try to facilitate allowing your players to kind of experience some of those fun things and manage some of the bad ones a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate you sharing that. I mean, I can I can definitely relate to that. Baseball has been a big part of my life too and it's seen me through a lot of hard times. So I I totally get that, you know. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, and and I think what, what I was probably the most impressed about when I spent time around you you and 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 the kids on your team is that you treated them with respect you treated them like adults and you gave them room to make mistakes and i i appreciate that as not only as a father but as a, a you know a sports psychology professional like that's a big deal right rather than kind of hanging on everything they do you kind of let them find their own way and i think that's really really important uh, i think so too i think uh, well one i had an opportunity at westfield high school i played for bob brewster who's been the baseball coach there for now 39 years um he's coached you know fathers and sons and uncles and connected 
nephews and like, you know, generationally everybody's played for brew and, and he's got a, a dynamic personality. He's a very lively guy. And people always ask me like, you know, what did you get out of playing for coach Brewster? And I think that was the biggest thing, right? I was a 14 year old kid, varsity catcher um, with some upside as a player, but he really allowed me to fail. He allowed me to make mistakes. He laughed at some of the dumb things I did and then kind of, you know, knew when I was a junior and senior, I probably wouldn't be doing them again. Um, probably handled it a lot better than my father did was probably talking him off a ledge a little bit every time I threw a ball in the right center on a stolen base or something like that or tried to back pick a guy up 18 so I hope I took that from playing for him um again I also think that you know while high school baseball is important while what we do is uh, you know I'd love like I want kids to experience winning tournaments with us and doing things but I do also feel that we're preparing them for the next couple steps we have 23 kids from the last five years that are playing college baseball I want them to make those mistakes with me right I want to correct them before they go to Duke before they go to Quinnipiac before they go to Lafayette before they go to these places where it is a job where it is you know your coach is feeding his family based on the results of how you're playing so it's a lot different for me you know you make a mistake it's just kind of getting them prepared for that kind of next level and going yeah I, I mean listen I, I I love that I I believe that that's really important that they need to learn how to deal with adversity right and that you know those mistakes are not life-changing mistakes right they're not a commentary on a player's identity or or their their themselves as a person it's just a mistake right and you learn from it and you move on and you get better so I mean tell me about that I mean you played for four years there you started when you were a freshman which is not an easy thing to do when you're playing with you know upperclassmen like what was that 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 process like for you going from a, fr a freshman starter up until you know your senior year where you were probably you know you know one of the best players in the state of New Jersey it changes a lot um I, I do think again I, I give a lot of credit throughout my career um I didn't have many experiences when I was a freshman of upperclassmen that were upset that I was there as a freshman I I had an opportunity you know three or four of my best friends were juniors and seniors when I was a freshman they kind of showed me kind of the right things to do and how to go about business, which um, I think helped me become an upperclassman. I think that that kind of those chain links kind of like, you know, the upperclassmen treated me well. Um, it worked out with my younger brother being five years younger than me that when I was a junior senior, when I was, a you know, one of the better players in our program state, as you mentioned, um, you know, the young kids that I was able to treat well because of how I was treated when I was an underclassman, like those were the upperclassmen when my brother was a freshman and they were, they were kind of paying that forward as you kind of go. So um, it was kind of nice to see those kind of links. Like uh, again, the young guys, when I was an upperclassman were the guys that were kind of mentors to my brother. And, you know, the guys that were mentors to me early on in my career are still, you know, some of my best friends in life, right? I think sports has a, has an interesting way of kind of bridging some age gaps and some different things um, in kind of social settings, high school settings, Hi high school progression was, um, you know, each pressure is a little bit different, right? Um, and I think um, athletics in particular is unique because it is kind of, the latter is very linear, right? It's like when I'm a freshman, I wanted to prove I was good enough to be a varsity player. Then uh, as a sophomore, you're kind of in a weird middle ground where I think you're kind of making that next stage into like now I'm established and kind of going. And then as a junior and senior, you're kind of trying to justify kind of your college recruitment. You're, you know, hey, I was the first team All-State catcher as a junior. And like, I didn't enjoy that much because all I was thinking about was having to make sure I do it again, right? And not see that fall off not see that go away um so so the pressure of that changes um I, I was always just trying to be in a constant state of getting better right um i kind of knew what i needed to work on to try to be really really good um and that was kind of the goal just kind of be be better than what i was kind of the year before the the off season before kind of pick something over my off season for five or six months to really work on 
on. I was a better offensive player than defensive player just by God-given ability. So, you know, a lot of my winters were focused on on improving an aspect of the game that was a little bit uh, a little bit lighter, whether that was arm strength, whether that was my defense, whether that was blocking uh, as a catcher, all those types of things. Again, I think... Um, as long as you take it seriously, there's going to be some element of pressure every year, right? Each of those years had a different pressure. And and I try to get my players to understand like the pressure of it's fun, right? Like you don't want to play in a 16-1 game that nobody cares about. Um, if you're playing in a good baseball game that's going to decide something meaningful, um, there's going to be pressure. There's going to be anxiety. There's going to be different things. So just trying to manage that. And the more normal you can play, you, know, you kind of get that levels off your kind of performance to where you, you play probably a, a meaningless Tuesday game the same way you play a tournament game. Yeah, I think I think you make a really important point in all of that is, you know, really for for young players, you know, really being aware of what they need to get better at and and spending the time to work on things that maybe are not as comfortable because you're not as good at them, right? And I think that that's can be a struggle, right? For a younger player who doesn't want to magnify the deficiencies, they want to, you know, they want to, you know, show their strengths. And so as a coach, how do you how do you kind of translate that personal experience into you know coaching you know other high school players now the hardest thing for players to be is self-aware i think that's a great point my biggest thing was i think um understanding how baseball's changing right like uh even you know i'm 32 when i was going through the recruiting process in 2005 when i was playing in college uh you know, 2007 2010 you're going back 10 14 years now the game was still a little bit you know it was moving in a certain direction but it was very it was still specialized right like i was a great hitter you could be a great hitter and still start in the acc for three years and you could do these things and have an opportunity. The game's become so versatile now. It's become so, um, you know, the guys that are getting roster spots can can play multiple positions, can do multiple things, can um, be athletic enough to to play multiple positions. Um, even my younger brother came out as the Gatorade Player of the Year in New Jersey as a catcher. You know, his four years at Georgia Tech, because of the level of talent they had, he was playing a year at first base, a year in right field, um, you know, asked to do play some third base in pro ball and on the Cape, like um, seeing how versatile you have to be to, you know, kind of build a trajectory where you could do this for a long time. I think that's kind of what you you have to be focused on, right? It, like gone are the days in the major leagues of the one tool, two tool guy. I mean, you're seeing that everywhere. It's too competitive um, with limited spots and, and an emphasis on, on being efficient. Um, you know, your ability to break through on college and professional rosters is, is to have value in a number of different spots and not just one. Right. So I think it's, just kind of understanding where the game's going versus my personal experience and, and going through it, trying to get players to understand kind of how difficult it is and that it's attainable with the amount of work they want to put in. No, absolutely. I mean, I think some of that has, a lot of that has to do with kind of the, the model of professional baseball, right? The analytical model that has kind of trickled down into college now, probably even to high school in some places, right? Of, you know, you know, we're following the data and we want to get the, the greatest return on investment for every player. And so therefore, you know, they're looking at all of the things you can do rather than just having a really strong hit tool and you hit 350, but you can't run, you can't field and you don't hit for power. Like that's not going to get you very far. Correct. It's com it's completely changed. Um, you know, wherever you fall on the analytic spectrum, whether you think that it's it's the end all be all and, and or if you don't buy into it much. I mean, I feel like I've been somewhere in the middle in that, um, you know, I've had an opportunity to, you know, after I got done playing, I, you know, I worked, interned at a sports agency kind of doing the salary arbitration analytics kind of piece of things. You know, my dad was a minor leaguer in the 80s under the like Charlie Lau hitting style, which was like the peak of not analytics baseball. 
Um, so I think I kind of grew up in some some of the middle ground there. Analytics, right? I think the biggest difference for for New Jersey high school baseball for high school baseball in general is that like analytics work over 162 games with kind of big data samples and kind of a uniformity to the data you're getting. Like you know, at a major league, at a pro level, in the ACC, you get kind of a, a really consistent level of baseball. High school, 25 games in the cold weather in New Jersey. There's a lot more variability where um, you know you're probably taking that into consideration. Not everybody, um, you know, the stats on advancement runner on a bunt like don't necessarily play in if you play a team that can't feel the bunt right um so um there is some differences there but it's good to know it's good for our kids to understand uh i've been lucky at st joe's uh to coach a, a fairly intelligent high baseball iq type kid more times than not probably thinking more than they should so just trying to keep it simple allow them to play the game fast and enjoy it that's great so you mentioned your your recruitment going back you know probably 15 16 years 14 years like can you talk about that process? I know it's probably changed since then, but you know what was it like for you going through the recruiting process? It has changed wildly, and I think a lot of people would argue not for the better. And I think maybe even some of the implications from COVID and this dead period in recruiting may swing the pendulum a little bit back to how it was. So yeah, as a high school class of 06, um, the rules were a lot different. You could get it was you were getting physical mail correspondence, which seems like is is a thing of the past, which was always fun going to the mailbox to see what. Led letters you got um, and questionnaires and and media guides and different things that you have to kind of go through. But uh, for most of your sophomore year, you were getting that. Schools could start calling you as as a junior. Um, They weren't able to make you scholarship offers until July 1st after your junior year of high school. I got my uh, my first batch of scholarship offers on on that July 1st, had had correspondence with a number of schools prior to that. Had actually been to Wake Forest the year prior, the fall of my junior year for a prospect camp that I played well and kind of had an idea that they liked me and I kind of felt in love with the place. So um, I committed to Wake on July 5th. I got the scholarship offer July 1st. Um, I talked to a couple different schools, but kind of had in my head that um, unless something kind of strange happened, I was going to go to Wake. Um, so committed July 5th after my junior year of high school. That particular year, I was the first Division One commit in the state on July 5th after your junior year. If you're at July 5th after your junior year, now you feel like the Division One offers have passed you by completely. So it's a much different process at that point. Then you're just waiting from July until today. Actually, we're doing this podcast as on National Signing Day, right for the fall. So you literally only had a four a four month window bef- between when you you know got your offer, accepted it, and then we're signing on the dotted line, right? So um, I was a 17 year old kid, and not that I had a great idea on everything I wanted to be, but a lot better than when I was 13, 14. And when you're doing this in in ninth grade and, and early in tenth grade, where you're making your commitments, um, so the process has has changed, you know, drastically. I from my just baseball two cents. I think you're seeing more mid-major college programs do very well because they are waiting a little bit longer. They're getting some of the guys that have developed over a couple of years and some of the bigger programs are taking a lot of shots at, at a lot of freshmen, right? And maybe four of the 10 pan out, maybe six of the 12 pan out, whatever it is. Um, you're getting a better hit rate as you're seeing guys develop and, and get into that um, outside of just projecting them and seeing what their actual results are. Obviously, coaches moving around a lot and, and taking different jobs and, and trying to, you know, kind of improve their kind of situation. You know, you commit to a guy as a, as a freshman, who knows where he's going to be three, three and a half years later. So it um, becomes a lot of guesswork for families and, and, and for 
for coaches alike. I, I think uh, we probably benefited from it sliding back to kind of what it was when I was uh, going through the process, which seems a little bit easier to manage. I'm fascinated by this, right? So, so until I started working, you know, with you and for you on the staff, I had no real sense of how the recruiting process worked in baseball. So why do you think schools are offering, you know, why do you think they're offering freshmen knowing that there is that much risk, especially these big time programs? At the highest levels, I think they can just, just their volume and hit rate like any other like kind of bigger company and like a litigation law firm that's the biggest in New York can can take 100 lawsuits. And if 70 don't pan out, they're fine. You know, a smaller firm can do that. And if they miss on a couple, you know, they're bankrupt for, for your programs like, you know, Vanderbilt and Virginia and Stanford and Arizona State and Texas and Miami, where you're recruiting kind of fish in a barrel to, to a degree. You know, you can take your 15 freshman recruits that are really high upside guys. You know, a lot of them do turn into Jack Lighter and, and these types of guys that are baseball lottery type pick. And if you miss on a few, these are the guys where you see over a thousand kids in a transfer portal and guys are moving around, right? Um, it's it, it's hard. I think it's harder on kids, right? I, I do think it's it's more difficult on uh, regional coaches. I think part of it is um, if you have a lot of players that, you know, in, in our region, in the Northeast, for instance, you know, you get really good players out of New York, New Jersey, PA, that you're kind of fearful once they go down to perfect game, Georgia, and once they go down to Jupiter, and once they get down in the Southeast, you're going to start competing with your ACC, SEC, Big 12 um, offers, you know, a lot of the Northeast schools say, okay, I'm seeing this kid. He's a good player. Like, I'm going to try to offer him and get him locked into my class before he goes down and sees Virginia, before he goes down and sees Chapel Hill, before he goes and sees Wake, um, before he goes and sees Clemson. And that's what you're seeing those guys are doing to try to stay competitive. And, and now it's just, you know, it's a, a race for a lot of these guys. I think half the coaches would tell you, you know, in private conversations, they don't like it. They don't like having to pull the trigger without seeing these guys compete at a high level. Um, you know, many before they've even thrown a high school pitch you know the emergence of a perfect game and and kind of the club circuit and, and the rankings and pbr and all that kind of accelerating the process plenty of opportunities for kids to get more exposure now it's just you know kind of pervaded where it's it's you know, sped up the process to, to, you know, what feels like, you know, to an outsider, kind of a ridiculous kind of, kind of level. Yeah. You know, so, you know, we've talked about this a little bit before. So I had, um, I had Elliot Glenn from Fordham on and Elliot, you and Elliot played in the Cape League All-Star game uh, years ago. And, you know, he's the recruiting coordinator there at Fordham now. And he, he basically came out and said exactly what you did, which is he doesn't like he doesn't like to make those commitments that early, right? Because I think they kind of embody what you just described, right? A mid-major A-10 program that can't afford to lose, you know, take those kinds of risks, right? They have to wait and see. And, you know, he was just blatant about saying, at least my interpretation, not to put words in his mouth, was like, I just don't like it. Like, I don't like to offer. I'd rather wait and see, right? And so I think that that makes, does make a lot of sense. And instinctively, that's what I would think if I was a coach in that position. Like, why don't I just wait to see what this kid turns out to be as a junior versus offering as a freshman yeah i mean i think um and elliot was a really good lefty pitcher i actually um I, I caught him that night the inning after i caught chris sale so i would call him the second best lefty pitcher that i caught that night it was really fun to catch really good and, and yeah you're exactly right fordham high academics again baseball's only funded fully funded 11.7 scholarships for a 30-man roster 35-man roster for a lot of these places you know stacking scholarship money in terms of academic dollars endowed scholarships um many of the creative ways college and universities can help get student athletes money for a lot of those you need grades right like you know like if Fordham's trying to you know if they only have 30 percent baseball money for a kid you know a senior that's a 4-4 four four with a 1380 on the SAT they can probably find ten thousand fifteen thousand dollars in an endowed scholarship or in an academic program when a kid's 14 years old they don't have that so like it, it makes it makes 
creating good offers and, and the types of offers that that are good for these kids as juniors and seniors, it's impossible, right? You don't know. You're kind of you're relying on a bunch of different things. Um, I think they're a great example of that, especially when you get into um, leagues and, and, and institutions. Again, Fordham, uh, high academic school, also very expensive, right? Where like as a family and as a coaching staff, you really want to have a full set of facts before you're pulling the trigger on on a decision like that. I, I think it puts uh, again our Northeast coaches, particularly in a in a tough spot because I do think um, certain levels of players as you're classifying your prospects, you know, you want to grab, you know, Elliot might like a pitcher that's real interested in Fordham. He, he knows three months from now he's going to head down to Georgia and then the Davidsons and the Furmans and the College of Charlestons and all of them start start getting on them. You know, that's a concern. Then you're trying to not lose a guy that you think can be really good in your program and go from there. So, I, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough haul for them. So I, I wanted to ask you, because I know we've talked about this before, and I think it's probably one of the most important things we'll talk about you know, with respect to the, you know, to the purpose of this podcast, right? You've said to me, I think, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the transition from high school to college baseball that first year as a freshman was the hardest year of your baseball career. Is that, is that an accurate statement? A hundred percent. And we touched on it a little bit before, like the high school progression and the high school progression, as I mentioned, wasn't that bad. The high school to college was by far the year I learned the most about myself as a player in person. And it was also the most difficult kind of wrapping up my high school career. Um, my junior and senior year of high school, I hit 519 and I hit 560. My on-base percentage was over 700 both years. So like baseball wasn't a game of failure for me for those two years. Was a recruit to Wake Forest, um, went in there, hit 202 as a freshman in part-time at bats, had about 140 at bats, had parts of my freshman year that I played pretty decent, had an 0 for 18 at Boston College and including an 0 for 8 in a game that wasn't awesome. But um, again, I was coming out of a, of an identity thing, right? I was Mike Murray, All-State, really good baseball player. And when I wasn't playing well that spring, I didn't even know how to have fun in any other component of my life, right? Like I was just so worried about what I wasn't doing as a player. Hey, I'm not starting every game. Hey, I'm not the three hitter that's hitting 500 like I normally am. When I kind of leaned on some of the relationships I had awake, you know, the guys that are my best friends in life today and just kind of like, you know, went out, went out to dinner after a game, went out to a party, went out to, uh, you know, go see a movie with them and just was able to relax and smile and kind of realize like, all right, I can kind of have like a nice life if I went over four in a game. That was really valuable mentally. And that identity piece was big for me. Understanding the amount of work that went into, you know, establishing myself, betting on myself to make myself a starter again and, and go through it. Understanding I wasn't not playing every day because the coach didn't like me. Um, I had upperclassmen. I had that conversation with an upperclassman. I was just like, Hey man, Coach Rem, you know, is playing the best guys because he pays for three kids, you know, lives based on how we play baseball, right? Like that perspective was really valuable to me. Just kind of understanding kind of a process to it and, and what was going to need to be done to um, get to where I wanted to be. You know, when I came out of that freshman year and that freshman summer ball, um, I came into the fall of my sophomore year with a much better understanding of everything, of my daily schedule, of what it was like, of what the expectations were. And I had a ton of fun. And I started playing a lot better, a lot, you know, kind of had a much better perspective on things. And then from that sophomore fall through the rest of my career, it was the only time I didn't hit 300 in my entire life. But I think it was the most valuable thing and kind of learning um, how I handled things and how, um, 
what I could have done differently that probably would have shrunk that window. And, and that's what I try to do as a coach, right? I try to I try to prepare them for those types of things. So maybe they only have a bad month as a freshman instead of a bad three months because they're kind of, you know, beating themselves up internally. But yeah, hugely, hugely valuable. Don't reckon, you know, would would have definitely loved to hit 300 instead of hitting 202 as a freshman, but learned learned a ton from that whole process. I think one of the things that you, you, you talked about, that conversation you had with somebody who said, hey, the coach has to feed his family. That's something I talk to kids, high school kids about a lot because they have a really hard time not taking things personally. And they have a hard time not putting themselves in a coach's shoes, right? Like you've only got so many spots, right? You have a job to do and you've got a lot more kids on a roster at, at any level, whether it's youth, sport, high school, college, whatever. And you have to make choices about what you think is best for the team. And I think a lot of kids just get so narrow, you get tunnel vision about like, well, why doesn't the coach like me? Or, you know, why aren't I playing? And they get really negative because they feel like they're being, you know, kind of overlooked or taken advantage of. Like, I think that's a huge thing that kids can be taught and can at least be kind of that seed can be planted of like, Hey, you know what, control what you can control. The coach has their own responsibilities. Go talk to your coach, try to understand like, what can I do better? You know, what, what, what am I not doing well? What can I, what am, what am I doing well? You know, understand why are you making these choices personnel wise? Right. And I think a lot of kids like to grumble about that stuff. Adults too, about anything, right. We like to grumble about the things we're not getting, but we don't want to actually take matters into our own hands and have that conversation, which is something I'm a big proponent of. Hey, you need to learn how to communicate with your coaches to understand why they're doing what they're doing. And you need to advocate for yourself in a respectful and mature way. Yeah. I think, um, uh, I think going into how you approach talking to your coaches is, is, is kind of a really important kind of detail, right? Um, for me, in my experience, I, I had an opportunity in that sophomore fa- uh, fall of my college days to go in and, and and I had that conversation with my coach. And I think he had this very, uh, he was an Ohio guy, came down from Kent State, had that kind of like blue collar Ohio hard work on the field kind of thing. He wanted to see me want to want to compete, want to kind of have that kind of have that fire in me that maybe I hadn't shown when I was worried about how I wasn't playing well as a freshman. I tell that to my my players a lot, but I also say like, hey, don't go in and yell at your coach and show that fire. Like it has to be kind of uh organic and organic in a sense that when you have that conversation, you need to be prepared that your coach is going to be very honest with you, right? A lot of times you have that meeting when a parent or player has the playing time meeting, they want to go in and have the coach say, okay, I'll play you more. That's probably not going to be the result if the coach is doing a good job. He's probably not playing because you're deficient in an area. You have a guy that's better in a certain area. Um, something that you're seeing. You need to be able as a coach to communicate that clearly. Hey, this is this is what I'm seeing. This is why we're making these decisions, which is, I think, really important. But it's equally important for, for the individuals and the parents to know like, hey, if I go have this conversation, we have to be okay getting honest answers. The final piece of that, and I tell it, and Mike's probably heard me say it a million times in, in practice speeches, like some of my favorite kids of all time to coach aren't guys that started for me, aren't guys that hit 400, right? Like, I think it's very important. I try to get my players to understand, like if they weren't in a start starting lineup the day before and they see me in school the next day, they should still say hi and ask ask how the day's going, right? Like I still want to talk to them. A lot of the guys, if they're not in the lineup, you see them see in the hallway, they put their head down like you don't like them. I like those kids, you know, as much, sometimes more than the guys that are in a lineup on a day. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, used to say it all the time. And I know there's I know there's there's plenty of kids that that I was there for for a couple of years that were the nicest, most positive kids who were out there every day and they weren't playing a lot. And you know, just it was great to be around them. 
you know? So I, I, I love that. You know, I, I think one of the things that I see, right, like there's two pieces to this, right? What you described, which is identifying or being self-aware, like, hey, like, what do I need to get better at? Having the conversation with the coach in a respectful way to get that feedback. The last piece for me is, are you going to actually do something about it? And I think that that's the piece that maybe in some ways is the most frustrating for me, right? Like I work with kids individually as, you know, on, on their mental skills training and we'll identify things that they need to work on. We'll identify a plan. I'll give them things to do. And then they'll come back to me a week or two later and say, no, I didn't do it. Right. And I think that that probably applies for you as well, right? You tell somebody they need to work on something physically or skill wise and then they're never putting in the time to do it. So like, I, I guess that tells you something about how motivated they really are to get better, right? Like, I'm sure you've seen plenty of that over the years. I, I have, and I think uh, I think kids are torn right now, and I think it, it's our job as coaches and, and in your role working the, with them on, on the mental side of things and their plan and their preparation. I think a lot of times kids don't know what working hard means, and I don't even blame them for it because a lot of this now is like, especially in this COVID period, like, hey, you want to get video of yourself uh, on Twitter doing your doing your dry work taking your swings fielding ground balls you want to get all that out on twitter and instagram so college coaches can see uh, what's missed there is that like that's not really hard work you know like like i can tell you like i was nutty about how i trained as a hitter i probably swung too much in high school you know i took 500 swings a day i charted them every day like not one of them made it onto the internet right like um it was done in quiet. I didn't want to see any, I didn't want any of my work shown. I wanted to be a completely different player and catcher. If, uh, you know, the criticism of me as a freshman in high school was that, you know, I was a great hitter, but I was never going to be able to catch in college because I, you know, my footwork wasn't good enough and I didn't throw the ball well enough. I had that in the back of my head every single Saturday morning at 7 a.m. when I was up in Wyckoff with Garrett Teal for two hours. And I didn't want anybody to see that. I wanted somebody to see me 24 weeks, 30 weeks later looking like a completely different catcher. So, I think kind of trying to understand how much work is hard work to certain players is, um, is a challenge. Yeah. What's interesting too, is I think there's a, there's probably a misperception from players, high school players about what it takes to get somebody's attention. Right. I think there's a belief that if I post clips of myself on social media and somebody sees me, I'm going to get discovered. Well, the truth is from all the things that I've listened to from college coaches and having some conversations, even directly, you know, it's really the send me a respectful, well-written email, right. Send me a, a, you know, a, a, a good solid clip of, you know, your play on the field, right? It's not, I'm not looking on, on Instagram to see your clips. Like I want to hear from you and, and to understand why you want to come to my program and what you bring to it. Right. So there might even be a disconnect in the recruiting process because so many kids are so connected to social media now, but they they don't really know what they need to do to put themselves in the best position to succeed. Yeah. I think, and, and that's just an education piece, right? Cause I don't think, I don't think a lot of these kids go into like, Hey, I want to send something dumb out to college coaches. Right. But I, I think tone's important. I think understanding, um, you know, these guys, uh, every college recruiting coordinator gets, I don't know, thousands and thousands of these small clips and this is what it is. And I'm great at this. And I went two for three in this game. I, I think what they want is somebody to show, like, I understand what this process is. This is who I am. This is what I'm good at. This is where I play. This is what I do. And, you know, how do I advance the process with you? What does that mean? Does that mean going on campus for a visit? Does that mean, you know, you being able to check me, check out my video, you being able to see me play in the spring? It's kind of just showing like you're kind of aware of 
of your surroundings. I think that's the biggest thing that kids can do to separate themselves, right? Like I try to get our guys to avoid sending the four paragraphs of why I'm a great player email. Like allow me to do that. I'm a coach, right? Um, my experience is supposed to be um, how you package that, right? So I, I give our kids, you know, this this kind of form letter, this kind of form tone, right? That you want to show that I'm serious. I understand it. I'm, you know, I'm kind of, you know, uh, you know, I'm kind of within my skis of kind of how I'm approaching this. And then I can, I can call up a coach and say, Hey, this guy reached out to you, you know, great kid uh, does well in the classroom. You know, I think he could be a, a two year relief pitcher for you and then maybe crack into your starting rotation, or he might be a four year starter for you, or, you know, he may just be a roster guy that's not going to play much in your program. And those aren't the types of things that a high school kid is going to be able to, or want to have with a coach. That's where you have to lean on kind of um, your club coaches, your high school coaches, your, your kind of mentors, the people that are kind of advocating for you to package you honestly and, and, you know, have an idea when you're talking to college coaches. Yeah. So t- I'm, I'm curious about that. So tell me, tell me about your experience with that. I mean, how willing are your players, whether club players or high school players willing to come ask you for help or how aware are they to know that you could, you can actually help them, right? How much are they trying to do on their own? It depends. Uh, I mean, I think, again, I'm, I'm lucky at St. Joe's uh, dealing with um, uh, a lot of, you know, guys that do well academically, guys that have families that are very involved. So, you know, they ask a lot of good questions and you can kind of give them give them an idea. Um, I think as, as we've kind of turned and we touched on it in a couple different areas, but the, re- the recruiting services, your NCSAs, your sports recruits, um, your club organizations, your PBRs, your perfect game, all these different things. At this point, it's almost too many people trying to help you. If if that makes sense where like I just think everybody's kind of spread a little bit thin in kind of their process it's like okay I went here and nothing happened I'm gonna go here and maybe something happens or this guy did this and it worked everybody's recruiting process is a little bit unique and I think just kind of centering that and not getting spread too thin and not um, putting eggs in, in like what I find a lot in dealing with families and it's something um, that was very different in my recruiting process from having a little brother five years behind me and how my dad kind of learned about recruiting uh, when I was going through recruiting we went we literally went to anything that came in the mail if they said like hey we're having this showcase day for a college or pro team like this event like my dad just said yes to it because he wasn't sure which ones were good and which ones weren't good so like we went to a lot of recruiting events that were duds we went to some that were really good um there were days that i wasn't expecting something to be great and had got a lot of interest out of it and there were things that i had circled on a calendar that didn't drum up a lot of interest i think that's very important because you don't like you don't know how you're going to play on a given weekend you don't know what's going to happen where i think um families become too selective in what they're tra- like they're trying to plan out a schedule that's efficient which is great but like sometimes you can't do it like that like you know I was in a position where I had scholarship offers from a, from a bunch of division one schools power five division one schools and like I went out on a weekend locally here um co- the coach at the time from Lafayette came to see me play and he's like ah you know what like we kind of like yeah you you know, between you and a handful of other catchers, like we're not really sure. Like at this time, I'd already had scholarship offers from Wake Forest, St. John's, Columbia, Notre Dame, like, you know, I, and like the Lafayette guy, I didn't think I was that good. Like you'd think that if I had scholarship offers from those other places that it would have just kind of like, oh, by default, like Lafayette would want me to come there, but I didn't play well that weekend. So you never really know when it's uh, kind of going to come together. So you have to kind of be open to getting out there and letting things happen. Yeah, I, it actually, you know, it, it's interesting, you know, kind of listening to that, like at the very end where you say you kind of have to to be 
maybe a little less selective. And I think that that kind of speaks to, there's an element of competitiveness there, right? Like willing to go out with every opportunity and compete and not maybe trying to engineer the process. Is that kind of a fair way to characterize it? 100%. And it's difficult to have that conversation with families because like it's in some way you're, you're diving into their pockets, right? You're telling them, hey, you should go to more of these three or $400 events. You should do, I understand why families want to try to create an efficient schedule. Hey, I've heard this event is better than this one. So we're only going to do that one. And we don't want to go to this one because there's only going to be five schools. They're not 10. But you know, you like the secret to this is that kids get better in this environment, uh, the more they do it. And I've told that to a lot of parents too, right? Like, um, you may have a bad showcase and, and not show well in front of 10 people, but that may help you kind of relax and calm down. And that may be something that a kid that you work with comes back to you a week later and says, man, I went to the showcase at X college and I stunk. But the ability to manage that and deal with it probably makes it less likely from repeating itself. Yeah. So I, I want to ask you a little bit more about the parent side of things, right? We've talked a lot of the, about a lot about this from the athlete's perspective, and now we're kind of shifting a little bit. But like, tell me about, you know, you, you coach club, you coach high school, right? You you're, you're, do your own thing, private instruction. You talk to a lot of parents. Like, what, what are those conversations like these days in terms of, you know, expectations from parents? Like, what are you, what are you saying to them? How does that like, how does that look for you on kind of a, a week to week basis? Yeah, deal, deal with a lot of parents on a lot of different levels. And, and again, a lot of them, very good questions. Wanting to just, um, I, I think my goal with parents is to let them know, like guys, like setting expectations that like, you know, I, I do know a lot of college coaches. I do have an opportunity to text these guys and get a response back. Um, that doesn't mean I can lie to them or get you somewhere that you shouldn't be. But I think the goal for parents should be to make sure your kids aren't getting missed or overlooked that you, that, you know, they're out there and then like they're being judged on kind of their own merits. For a lot of parents, I think the hardest thing to do is that it's it's not a straight ROI formula that makes sense, right? It's not, but I paid $4,000 for five years for club ball. Why is he not going to Georgetown, right? Like it doesn't work that way. So I think managing those expectations is the biggest thing. Like, yeah, if you're, if you're in a good program and you're spending money and getting development, like you're going to be better than whatever the starting point was, but that doesn't guarantee that that starting point and your growth to, to whatever the finished product at the end of your high school years is, is good enough to play at those places. So I think it's, I think it's managing expectations, setting a good bar, also understanding what you want to get out of it. I've had so many kids that I've coached in club that had a great club experience for three years, took baseball seriously. And then when they were seniors in high school, had to make a decision, like had worked hard enough to go from a high school player to where they were an academic division three type college player, uh, where they could have went, got into, um, you know, a, a Brandeis, a Williams, a Tuff, an Amherst, wonderful schools and great places to play, but ultimately made a decision that I got into the Honors College at Ohio State and I like that school environment a little bit better. I got into the engineering program at Purdue. I can't play baseball at Purdue, but I'd rather go there. So like you ultimately have to like allow your son to make a decision that, you know, club baseball can just be about building relationships, putting in work, getting better at something, and then ultimately going a different direction. And if that's a choice they make, hopefully families are okay with that, right? Right? Because that happens more often than not. The the athlete's kind of prognosis changes on, on what he's looking for out of everything. I, I think that's a great point. And it kind of it kind of speaks to the motivation, right? The motivational side of things, which I'm very interested in, which is meaning you know, leaving the decisions up to the athlete, the kid, to decide what's best for them, right? Even if it means, oh, we spent 
X over the last six years of, you know, club baseball, we need you to get a scholarship rather than kind of putting that pressure on the kid to go to college. And now from what I understand, whether you go to division one, two, three, it doesn't matter the amount of time and effort you're spending to play baseball, right? Train and to travel and all those things is, is becoming less and less, you know, more and more similar, right? Like it's more of a job regardless of the level you're at. So if the kid doesn't want to play baseball in college because they're done with it and they want to go somewhere else and just have the college experience, like not forcing, forcing the kid to, to, to go and, and try to get a scholarship and just kind of be happy that they had the experience of learning life lessons through baseball and, you know, being able to take that and move on to the next chapter of their life. 100%. I mean, and, and again, I'm going back to my personal experience that, you know, myself, my brother, my sister, we had an opportunity to go play in college, but like at this point, at this point, you know, my, I mentioned earlier in the podcast, you know, my dad passed away at the end of 2013, like $2,000. So like I could go for a weekend out to Long Island and have my dad watch me play baseball in high school. Like that would be worth it. Even if I never played an inning at Wake Forest. And I think those are the types of things that I hope more families understand that, you know, when you're hanging out with your, with your club teammates in a hotel room, you know, getting to go to Cooperstown, getting to, getting to travel to some of these places, getting to go play on these, um, on these fields in Georgia, whether you're going to be a division one player or not, those kind of experiences and the team building is, I think, is I think something that I, I hope more parents understand that that is the part of the ROI of their money that's probably more guaranteed than scholarship dollars. And that's not to say that, and, and again, I'm not, I believe that, you know, if you put enough work in and you want to play college baseball, we can find a place for you to go play. You just need to know that, you know, it's, it's all about the parameters that you're setting as a family, um, as an individual and the amount of work you're willing to put in. Yeah. And, and there's something I'm starting to hear from, uh, from, uh, from kids and from families in other sports. It's not as much baseball and and this may be true in baseball, but just like recent experiences I hear, you know, athletes that I work with in other sports saying like, I'm using sports to get into a good academic school, right? Whether it's a high academic division three or a Patriot league or something like that, where you can like a Lafayette or a Lehigh or something like that, where you can get in academically and kind of get yourself into a really good position for long-term professional success using the athletics. Like that's a really good thought process, right? Because then it's more about the long-term ROI than the short-term ROI. That's uh, and I mean, look, everybody's got a different different definition of of success in this process. For my family and for my my beliefs as a coach and as a person that that talks to a lot of families about this, that is the correct answer, right? Like, if your sport allows you to get into a college that you would have otherwise not gotten into, just because you know it doesn't even have to be scholarship dollars. To your point, it can just be okay. I'm a fringy student at Johns Hopkins, but the baseball coach can help me get a roster spot there. Um, you just got yourself in a Johns Hopkins because of the hard work you put into baseball, right? You can separate yourself from a, you know, an ultra competitive college environment, right? Um, and, and in some cases for, you know, again, for, for my family, I had a dad that that worked at, worked in government and I had, a, you know, my mom is a fitness instructor, hairdresser, and like we had three kids go to Georgia Tech, Wake Forest in Maryland and, and like we couldn't afford that, you know, scholarship dollars from sports wasn't possible, right? So it can open doors, it can do different things. But um, I, I think for, for all my kids, I tell them that the, the best school that you can get into that's a fit for you that maybe you wouldn't have been able to get without the work you've done in your in your sport in this case baseball that's that's i think that's a really important message so I want to just wrap up with one um, one more thing. I, I'd, I'd like you to kind of give one, just one thing or one piece of advice for the people listening, right? So the student athlete who's looking to move on and play, you know, a sport in college and to the parent of that 
student athlete, like what's the one thing you would say to them or suggest for them to do or focus on in that process? Yeah. Um, the, the biggest thing for me, and, and we've touched on it today, take all of this really seriously. It, it's it's meant to be kind of an, an elevated work ethic, getting a division one scholarship, a playing division two, division three, playing college baseball at the next level. It, it, it's intended to be hard, right? There's a work ethic and a level of, of taking it seriously and making sacrifices and concessions. Um, all that's important. I, I think that's a lot of what you hear, right? Like what well, you have to sacrifice to get to where you want to go, which is which is great advice. For me, the biggest thing that transitioned me into a better adult college professional player was not taking myself too seriously, being able to compartmentalize that. But again, being able to do all the stuff that was serious for, for my work, for baseball, for school, and then being able to go like laugh and watch a movie and kind of separate and kind of have those kind of clear barriers that um, are really tough to have when you're younger, right? When it's an identity thing, when, when it's just, you know, you're wearing your club hat everywhere you go and I'm baseball player, Mike. So I do think there there's value to finding. Um, I, I don't even think balance is the right word because you need to be a little imbalanced to get to kind of where you want to go. But I do think you need you need your places that are separate so you can just kind of enjoy it a little bit more. Um, for the vast majority of us, I mean, I got to do everything in baseball other than be a major leaguer. I was a minor league all-star. I got to play in the Cape. I got to play in a great college league. What baseball has given me now is like the seven or eight really good friends that that I talk to all day. Those relationships uh, and 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 those types of things are what you really get out of it. So be able to enjoy those things um, and not always be so um, so end game focused because it goes very fast. Like I mentioned, I got done playing at, at 25. I'm 32 now. It goes really, really fast. Um, so to just kind of enjoy the process of, of getting to play games, getting to have your family watch you play and, and go from there. That's awesome. I think that's a great that's a great message to end on. Mike, thank you so much. I probably could have went another hour with you. I love the conversation that we had. I think that it's really going to be very valuable for the people who who listen to it. So I just, I, I, I want to thank you for uh, taking the time out to, uh, to join us here. All right. I really appreciate it, Mike. Thank you. All right, Mike. I'll talk to you soon. Have a good one. You too. Mike Huber is the founder and owner of Follow the Ball Coaching located in Fairhaven, New Jersey. He is a mental performance coach and business advisor dedicated to serving athletes just like you reach their full potential on and off the court. The Freshman Foundation is all about helping you get to the next level. For more information, follow along on Instagram at The Freshman Foundation. Please subscribe. Give us a like on iTunes, Spotify, leave a review, tell a friend. Most importantly, come back in two weeks. Ready to get better.